This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio here on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Great to have you back for another episode. Today I'm talking with Juan Gobel from a native from Queensland who's a hunter, shooter, long-range shooter. So we're going to get in just a few moments into that podcast. And I've been enjoying getting back, just talking to people, uh, having a lot of fun talking about hunting, giving the politics a little bit of a miss. I see a lot of people emailing me about it. When straight shooting happening, when straight shooting happening, love the show, love that show. Uh, yeah, it will be happening. I'm just trying to gather some more information to talk about uh, all the information that's happening within the industry. Uh, I guess it just gets a little bit sad sometimes that, you know, I spent so much time on all the politics side of stuff and, you know, just none of it seems to be unfortunately coming to fruition. But you never know. You've got to keep plugging away. That's the that's the point. But uh, it's going to be a great chat with Juan. Of course, I want to thank all the people that support me on the show, all the Patreon supporters. I really do appreciate it. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash AHP. I think it's five bucks a month as a minimum. And that goes a long way, guys, in supporting the show. It goes a long way in providing the deck that I bought probably about four, five, six months ago now that uh, all the Patreon supporters uh, funded for me, which was absolutely fantastic. Makes my workflow a hell of a lot easier, that's for sure. And I want to thank the guys that uh, supported me and I was able to buy this equipment. Without you guys, I wouldn't be able to do that. So thank you very much. Of course, if any reason you want to email me, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com and you can go to the website at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, we're on Instagram and we're also on Facebook. Um, someone was asking me about my Twitter the other day, but all I really use that for is just to post the show on Twitter. I don't really use Twitter. I think it's a bit of a, a bit of a shithole, to be honest, and I'm not a big fan of it, so I only post the show on there. Um, again, we're on all the avenues if you want to listen to and all the social media sites if you want to listen to us. Uh, Stitcher, of course, on the website, iTunes, uh, the Podbean app. Uh, there's plenty of ways to listen to us. I think we're on Google Podcasts as well. Plenty of places to listen to the show, plenty of information, plenty of different shows to shoot every single body, depending on what you like. If you like the politics stuff, we've got that for you too. If you love the hunting, we've got that. If you like the long-range shooting, we've got that uh pretty much got everything and i'm going to try and get back into uh, a bit more fishing as well i call myself the australian hunting podcast hunting shooting and fishing radio but i need to start doing more of the fishing and uh gearing up and start doing a bit of that as well because i know a lot of guys do like the fishing as well uh not just the hunting including myself i do love my fishing as well so i'm recording uh this podcast on around the 20th of the august 2020 as most of us know it's been you know, a pretty shit year, hasn't it? Uh, we've had fires down the East Gippsland towards the Christmas New Year period. Uh, then we had floods pretty much and water. Then we had COVID-19. Now we've got more water, which is absolutely fantastic, but it's uh, certainly screwing up a lot of the farmers now in some certain areas, uh, the flooding that we're seeing in the media. So yeah, it's been a bit of a bitch of a year. I know Victorians are locked down with COVID right now, probably at the time of listening to this podcast, uh, about four weeks after I've recorded it. I guess I'm not sure what's going to be happening down there, but the lockdown will probably still be on. So stay safe down there, my Victorian friends. Hopefully this won't be forever and you'll be back out hunting sooner rather than later. 
If you want to leave us a voicemail too, you can go on the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. On that right-hand side slider bar, it'll say leave a voicemail. So if you want something played out on the show or you even just want to be part of the show, I'm always looking for new people. If you want to... You know, be part of the show. I'd love to have you. So email me, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com if you would like to be a part of the show. I'm more than happy to have you on. And also, by the time you're probably hearing this podcast as well, um, I'm going away uh, next week uh, to go hunting. So going to do a bit of filming. Uh, shoot some rabbits, long range. I bit, did a bit of a series called Rabbit Hunting Mayhem on YouTube, so you've got to check that out. You can go to AHP Outdoors, which is the uh, Australian hunting podcast. I guess hunting page, it's not where I put the show, uh, but also, too, speaking of that, if you do want to listen to the show and it's a bit harder to get to those other avenues, just go on YouTube, type in Australian hunting podcast, and you will find uh, that channel as well. So I've got two separate channels, Australian hunting podcast, which I upload the podcast to, uh, and anything associated to that and also AHP Outdoors for all my hunting and just general stuff so hopefully by sometime early September I'm going to have my uh, third part or another part of that rabbit hunting series out after the trip towards the end of August. I really enjoyed making that, getting the drone out, filming, putting something together, and it seems a lot of people enjoyed it. So if you want to check it out, AHP Outdoors on YouTube. So I think without further ado, we'll probably get into my interview with Juan Gobel. Juan Gable, welcome to AHP, mate. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, accepting my offer to come on the show and, I guess, have a chat about not only hunting in Queensland, but, you know, travelling to New South Wales to hunt, deer hunting, long-range shooting, and everything in between. So thanks for joining me here on the show. Appreciate the time and the invitation, Jace. Um, been a long-time listener and um, appreciate the opportunity to be able to contribute some content. No worries, man. Tell us about yourself so far. I want to hear about yourself, what you like to do. And a bit of, yes, just generally how you got into shooting and hunting. Yeah, well, as you said, I'm um, I'm a Queensland boy originally, so born and bred in Brisbane. I uh, still live up here now, um, 34. And it all just sort of stems from, you know, getting out in the bush uh, as a young fellow with the family. You know, every school holidays we'd be out bush camping, or whether it be over to the islands, Morton, and um, or, yeah, road tripping around around the country. and just enjoying Australian bush for what it is. Um, and I've carried that on to this very day. Um, I don't have any kids or anything, obviously, but um, every spare moment I get, I'm hitting the road and getting out in the bush, hunting, camping, hiking. Um, and like, it's just, we have, we're blessed with a really good lifestyle down here that um, a lot of other countries and places in the world don't get the opportunity to do that. Um, so I definitely don't take it for granted. And uh, getting started in shooting, um, I don't come from a hunting family per se, I'm definitely outdoorsy, but um, it was my grandfather actually, um, you know, hunted most of his life, um, you know, growing up in Australia. Um, it was more the rabbits and, and all that small game sort of thing. And my early introductions were just the, the air rifle and the twenty two um, with the grandfather and um it wasn't until sort of I'd finished high school uh, that I really got into to firearms and shooting and and hunting, uh, which would have been about 2003, 2004, uh, so well over 15 years ago now, just through uh, my, my good friends in high school. Their grandparents had a, uh, you know, a bit of property in the southern Darling Downs up here in Queensland and uh, initially just started out doing the spotlighting thing, you know, rabbits, hares, foxes, all that smaller game stuff. And then just naturally 
gravitated more towards starting to walk and stalk and hunt, you know, pigs, goats, and then yeah, merged into sort of deer hunting and that sort of thing. So yeah, so it was long, long winded there, but that's sort of how we started. <laughs> no, no, that's all right. It's interesting the catalyst, isn't it? I didn't grow up in a in a hunting and shooting family, and I was telling that story just last night to another person, and I think I got my first air rifle, and then. I was talking to my parents, and they said, I want to get into shooting. They're like, they don't think they were too keen. Oh, we're not having guns in the house. And I just went, oh, well, mm-hmm. I'm just going to do it anyway. So <laughs> they were never going to kick me out. So I guess they really never had a, <laughs> a rock and a hard place, so to speak, on you know that sort of thing. But it's interesting. Well, so what was basically what friends of yours from, from school, their grandparents had property. Is that right? Yeah, that was, that was it. Um, you know, they sort of spent all their school holidays and stuff heading out to their grandparents' farm and, and you know, getting into the – firearms and the the hunting and you know when we sort of got out of school and got our licenses yeah we started going out with them and um so yeah i can really attribute sort of my start to being shown the ropes and given the opportunity to to hunt on some private land um which is is a hard thing up here in queensland Uh, you guys down in new south wales and furthermore in victoria have the luxury of being able to get out and hunt public land crown land not heavily relying on um, private. So I felt pretty lucky and I think that spurs sort of my ethos now about giving guys a go and taking them for a hunt uh, just because I can appreciate how hard it is to to get onto someone's land. Um, so, yeah, uh, mainly through friends. Uh, my, my family still don't really hunt. They really appreciate the game meat and that sort of stuff that I do bring and um, – but yeah, it was just wasn't wasn't what they did, sort of thing. It's interesting when you when you went home or your your friends might have got you into it talking about going hunting on that property. So when you went home, I'm not sure if you bought your first farm while you were still at home or once you moved out. But what did your family say, mum and dad, when you said, "Oh, going to get into this hunting business"? Yeah, look, they weren't completely um, surprised, just given also my grandfather grew up that way, and then sort of my dad's side of the family they all were bushies back in the day and so they weren't completely oblivious to the, the fact that it happens and all of that sort of thing but I think my granddad saw that I t- took a pretty vested interest in it and um, he gave me my first 22 which was his first 22 um, so that that got handed on and, and since then obviously he sort of hung up the guns and I've inherited all of his as well so yeah early on in the piece um, getting an old BSA sportsman 15 22 um was was the first one um and then yeah it's just been been a collection since then essentially <laughs> yeah no, what about any brothers or sisters did they end up getting into hunting or in anything like that yeah i've got one brother um he's in his early 30s and lives down in victoria uh he's mad keen bull drive and camper and he you know spends every free moment up in the high country as well but he hasn't really been bitten by the hunting bug. Um, you know, he's, he's come with me a few times, um, you know, hunting and, and that sort of stuff and likes to have a shoot, but sort of just the bug hasn't bitten him. He's, he's got his own interests and that sort of thing, which is fair enough. I just find, um, especially too here, I mean, we're going to throw a bit of a curveball at you, but it's nothing too personal. So when you met your lady friend, your, your missus, what did she say when, you know, she, she probably met you and thought, oh, this bloke's a hunter, this, this, this one Gable's a hunter. I'm not sure about this fella. <laughs> so what'd she say? What was uh, her first reaction when you said, oh, I'd do a bit of, a bit of shooting? Because sometimes it just hasn't worked out well for me. It's just, you know, sometimes people message me and they say, hey, 
Jason, what do I do? I'm in the dating scene and, you know, what do I say when people ask me, like, what I do for fun? And I said, well, if you're up front, sometimes if people don't know you that well, and especially if a woman doesn't know you, it may not go down too well, and it hasn't for me sometimes. But then they're also on the flip side too, they don't want to lie and say, well, not tell them. And then down the track and say two to three months, if, yeah, the relationship goes further, well, now I'm a hunter. And I said, well, you don't have to tell them every single thing you do. I mean, every single part of your life straight away. I mean, you've just met this person for the first time. So what your missus say when you say, like this hunting business, did you try and just sneak it in under the radar? Um, no, I, you know, honesty is the best policy, I think. And I'm, you know, mid thirties now and you don't want to waste any time, whether it be your own or somebody else's. So I'm, you know, brutally honest straight off the bat um especially with the whole online dating and the way the world is these days one look at your instagram or your facebook and they can sort of see all that confronting stuff that you get up to on your weekend so <laughs> yeah, yeah i just make it part of the uh first first bit of conversation you know when they're like oh what are you into you just throw it out there outdoorsman love hunting you know harvest moon game meat um and what i found is some absolutely hate it not just ones that prefer to eat a plant-based diet or the ethics <laughs> side of things, but um, women love men with hobbies, to be honest. They don't, you know, they don't want you hanging off them 24-7, following around like a bad smell. If I can get out, go for a hunt, or I'm out in the garage, you know, tinkering, cleaning my firearms, putting stuff together, whatever, um, you know, they, they appreciate a guy that has – uh, hobbies and interests just like they they do as well so I was lucky um to Neil yeah she loves getting out in the bush as well and uh she's just undertaking her or starting her journey into the whole shooting firearms and and hunting as well so she's pretty keen to to get out there and get dirty and see how it all happens yeah I just feel sometimes depending on it just seems different sometimes and maybe it's just me but some states, I mean, Queensland seems a bit more easy going with that type of thing, um, whereas, you know, other states, i.e. Sydney, where I live, it's sometimes you try and yeah, – some people don't have a problem with it and some do, but some of those relationships probably never go anywhere sometimes anyway. Um, yeah, it's just an interesting fact that I always hear about from people. And But I always think, you know, if someone likes somebody and the person's a good person, well, I don't think that should really matter, you know, especially when, we're not, not as if we're killing babies and – and, yeah. you know, out there murdering people. I mean, let's get serious. It's just hunting, organic meat, um, pest control, whatever it may be. Yeah, and that's it. I think it's just how you introduce people to it as well, not just showing them gory pictures and that sort of stuff. Um, you know, the introduction that um, Tanil had with it was um, sort of giving her the reasons I do it, the benefits why I do it. Um, you know, it's good for your fitness being out in the bush. It's good for your mental health. You know, it's it's conservation, it's um, ethically and organically sourced game meat, and then um, she tried it, you know. Um, I think it was our second or third date even. I, I cooked venison for her and um, I could even walk through that particular hunt that I had with that that animal and, I'm, and you, you remember it clear as day and I write the dates on all my vacuum seal bags. I go in the freezer and I can throw back um, and tell the story of that exact hunt Um Sometimes you've even got photos and, you know, you can you can replay that experience. And I think you share that passion and you have a really deep connection with your food. It not only, you know, makes it taste better, but you, you feel really good about being able to provide that meal for somebody else as well for them to experience it. 
Yeah, I know. Yeah. I remember years ago, I had a, had a missus, like long-term one. <laughs> she was very funny about this sort of thing. And it's good to see, you know, your girlfriend sort of, you know, take on game meat very quickly, you know, after sort of getting together. Man, I just didn't, mine wasn't even game meat. I wasn't even hunting really at the time. I sort of was, but not that much. And, you know, I, I just, we had some you know, spaghetti bolognese, I think it was at the time, you know, turkey, you know, turkey mince was all the rage, probably still is. And, you know, I fed her that and she looked at it and she tasted it and she's looking at me and she goes, oh, that's, that's, that tastes a bit different. And I go, well, shit, it's beef. You know, it's beef, the beef, you know. And she goes, oh, yeah, she's eating it and eating it. And then at the end, you know, I just said, oh, she goes, are you sure it's beef? You know, and she goes, did you pick up the wrong one? And I said, no, nah. I said, I picked up turkey. That's what it was. She goes, oh, you bastard. You just told me it was it was um, t- beef, you know. And I said, she goes, you're a bastard. And I said, well, yeah, don't you know? <laughs> so, was, yeah, sometimes she wouldn't even eat turkey, let alone game meat. So yeah, oh, I'm glad that one's afraid. over, I guess. People are pretty afraid to try something new, and I think that's it's in how you present it um, really, you know, proves the case, and they don't know until they try it. <laughs> yeah, I know. Totally, totally agree with you, man. We're just going to go to quick break. Be right back. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers flexible zero interest payment options including afterpay and zip pay order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836 Juan, what, what do you like to hunt, man, when you're actually going out? What's your number one game species? What do you enjoy? What do you enjoy eating? Oh, look, Jace, I, I love being out in the bush and I don't have to be hunting every single time I go out, but um, that's obviously the goal. Uh, fallow deer would be be my number one, um, just purely because they're such a gorgeous animal. Um, every single fallow is different, um, whether it be colours, antlers, um, locations. They're just they're they really are an exciting animal to hunt, um, and they do taste good. Uh, goats, they're also really good eating and can be a challenging hunt, but they're also really good practice for, for stalking and whatnot, um, playing around with with goats and, and pigs as well. I, I haven't done a lot of small game stuff recently. Um, I have sort of rekindled um, my love for the 22s and, and chasing bunnies and that sort of stuff. So when the opportunity presents, yeah, small game as well. But, you know, generally speaking, I'll take off for a weekend and you sort of don't want to, give your location away too much to the deer so i tend to keep it pretty quiet until i've gotten a deer on the deck and then i can go yeah looking for for pigs or foxes and make a bit more noise um and that sort of thing yeah yeah i know we i really love the small game hunting i mean i've got a lot of mates that go with me deer hunting and stuff and they i mean they love their deer hunting and i do love there's something about deer hunting isn't there in that colder weather getting into the bush, maybe getting into the pine if you're on public land or on private property. and um, But then again, also, too, I know a lot of my mates that just love that rabbit and hare hunting. Um, you know, they're different cultures as well. So they, you know, love that small game hunting. And I do, too. And I've been on a – I'll be going on a rabbit hunt hopefully next week to do some – to do some shooting as well and shoot some more rabbits as well. So, yeah, I know guys that will probably pass up deer hunts sometimes just to go on a rabbit hunt. It's crazy. 
yeah, and different strokes for different folks. Uh, you hit it nail on the head there with, with the cultural thing as well. Um, I know a lot of the Victorian guys, they love, you know, their dark hunting and their, their rabbit hunting and that sort of stuff as well. And then you get your ferreting and all this sort of thing. And um, I love all all hunting disciplines. Uh, I just prefer, you know, if I'm going to do the miles, uh, yeah, want to want to get a deer on the deck and, and bring some meat home and um, never shy away at an opportunity to hunt other other animals as well, whether it be goats or pigs or or go foxing and um, hopefully line up some dog hunts with a mate soon too. So, yeah, the, the world's your oyster with Australia and, and the game we have to offer here. It's actually pretty broad. Um, what's your what's your go-to eating anyway when you use the fallow what did you what'd you cook the missus some steaks or what'd you make it easy and sausages or what'd you put it into or what'd you make yeah we we have we have you know fallow meal one or two a week i'd say now um i I can't remember off the top of my head what the first one was i think it might have just been some um some backstrap sort of reverse seared with a with a nice um pear and parmesan rocket salad or something really simple like that but i just wanted to sort of make the venison the showpiece and, you know, uh, allow her to appreciate the flavour for what it was. Um, but, yeah, when I'm cooking it, um, underrated cuts are the shanks. Like I'll save up shanks and um, off a few few deer and then I'll get a big slow cooker going um, or, or in the camp oven if we're out in the bush we'll have slow cooked shanks in the camp oven. Uh, heart, I know you're an advocate of the heart. Yeah. as well tasty um, as oh it is so tasty and even just you know even if you're out bush just cut up and and fried yeah you know, salt, and pe- salt and pepper and a bit of butter on a butter. pan absolutely yeah. man. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's it is the best part it is the best part and unfortunately they they have a pretty small ticker so it's it's more of an entree than anything but yeah um yeah look i utilize as much as i can and i, I do try and substitute a lot of my beef and lamb in my diet with venison so whether it be, you know, putting it in, in curries or roasting it, um, make a lot of jerky, uh, you f- just flat-out steaks, yeah, mincing it, patties, um, tacos, bolognese, all that sort of stuff. Um, I, f- I find it, it's a really diverse meat. You can, you can make it taste like lamb or you can make it taste like beef depending on how you're cooking it. So, um, yeah, I, I, I really rate it. Yeah, I remember going out in a hunt too, and uh, we, me mate, shot a deer, and uh, we thought, okay, let's let's have something off this. And he goes, oh, do you know yeah, best way to cook it? He goes, I've got my way, but why don't we try something over the fire? And so we we got a bit of the coals going. We had a little, like a little open grill sort of thing, and I, put, I had a few skewers, so I put them in a bit of water to make them wet, and then punched them through the tenderloins. Man, I put a bit of olive oil and a bit of spice. I can't even remember what spice it was, but even my mate said to this day, I was only talking to him about three days ago, and this is why it came to my memory. He goes, remember when we had those tenderloins? And he goes, mate, how good were they? And I said, he goes, is that is the best I've ever had? Like you can't get any fresher. The deer's hanging up next to you, and then bang, you pull off the tenderloins for lunch with i think we had a bit of a few rolls with butter and a bit of barbecue sauce oh man i tell you what it was freaking fantastic even he said three four years later it's still the best meal that he's ever had yeah they're um they're one of the choice choice cuts um with the fallow they're they're pretty small but yeah if you can get a couple of them they're really good meal um yeah there's just so much to like about them and it's just such great meat really good for you too 
Yeah, agreed. Especially when you go out on the last trip, we went to a place, I think it was a state forest, probably a couple of months ago, and, you know, got a bit of the wood mushrooms as well. And, you know, we had a bit of heart, we had a bit of venison and a bit of backstrap. We cut it up thin, fried it up in a bit of butter. Man, I tell you what, nothing better, isn't it, than getting it while you're there and, you know, foregoing a normal lunch and then having something else, you know, like as in game meat whilst you're out hunting. Um, when you get back to camp for a lunch while the boys enjoy it and, mate, delicious, mate. Yeah, that's it. That's what really connects you to the hunt is being able to enjoy the the spoils then and there. Um, one little hint that I've got is Aldi make a really good barbecue spice in a like a pepper cracker sort of thing. It's just a mix of um, yeah spices and I think it's two bucks and you get this big grinder and that just lives in the camp kit and yeah that that's phenomenal with fallow. What do you do with the shanks? Are they, do you keep them sort of on the bone? How do you? What do you put a mix in there from like Woolworths, like a, a wet mix or a dry mix with water? What do you make up your own? How do you normally do it? Yeah, I've got a pretty good shank uh, recipe actually. I keep them on the bone, obviously, um, just trim them up with excess bone, um, and I'll save save up until there's four or six and put them in a slow cooker. If they're big ones off a buck, you might only get away with putting two in. Um, but I just brown them in a bit of salt and pepper. Um, Woolies do like a simmer veggie mix, which is just like cut up celery and carrot and a few other little bits and pieces that they generally use to put in soup. Um, So I brown off some onions and and that simmer mix, um, put in a cup and a half of red wine, uh, let that reduce, throw that into the slow cooker with the shanks, Four cups of beef stock, um, I think four or five cloves of garlic smashed in there, bit of rosemary and a bit of thyme um, and bung that on for a few hours and, yeah, it's a really good flavoursome. I can imagine by the end of it, what, they're just absolutely falling off the bone. You're probably like, this is delicious. Yeah, you don't you don't need a uh, a knife, mate. Jeez, um, <laughs> it's crazy because you know when I think about the shank, sometimes I guess it's the often, isn't it? Really, the overlooked part of the animal. I've overlooked it in the past too. Where I got a mother, he loves it. Like to be honest, I don't mean to be crass or anything, but like you know, he'd eat the asshole given the opportunity. You know what <laughs> I mean? So he he wants tail tail to nose, as they say. So he yeah. he just loves every part of it, man. Like he'll yeah you know, he'll take the ribs, mate. Like the only thing pretty much left by the end of it when he's finished with it. Pretty much is the is the spine, the shanks. He'll actually even take the shanks. He just likes the. He'll just pretty much cut off all the ribs, man. He goes, oh, I've got a big enough. I said, how big's your bloody slow cooker to get those ribs in there? And he goes, nah, I cut them up. And I said, mate, you're, you're, you're dedicated. Whereas I like the choice cuts, you know, the legs. You know, yep. the front legs, yeah, not even my cup of tea per se, but I do put them into stews when I get the opportunity. But I got to get my stew game up. I'm still trying to find the ultimate nice stew because i like a i'm not really a soupy kind of guy i'll sort of like a, a i don't mind a runny stew but like it's got to have some thickness of yeah a bit thicker mm-hmm. i like with a bit, a bit of mashed potato or um sweet potato and just you know just nice and thick i don't like that soupy sort of you know i guess yeah chinese sort of soup style where very thin very liquid style so yeah man what about reds mate you're in queensland the home of the red deer so any chance of any red deers up there you've you've shot up there yeah, like, and for hunting red deer, they are pretty plentiful uh, in the Brisbane Valley sort of area, but it's it's gaining that access to the property up here. I mean, it's really the, the barrier that a lot of people have. Um, I 
have chased reds. I haven't got a, a trophy specimen by any means yet. So that's definitely one for the future and the near future is trying to do a bit more legwork and get onto a few more properties up here to, to enable me to hunt reds. Um, they are a fantastic eating animal as well. And, um, you know, I've taken the spiker and whatnot and um, absolutely delicious. But uh, chittle, I've chased chittle up here in Queensland as well, um, which I have shot a chittle stag, but again, would absolutely love to, to find a real big fella in the near future. And they're great eating as well, whether it be the stags or even the smaller guys as well. Yeah, I'd love to get down to Victoria and get onto some of those samba, some of those big samba one day. But uh, I've shot a samba, but it was only only a small one. And I, I, I told people a bunch of stories, and even to the, sort of the guys that are, are big on deer hunting and pretty pretty experienced. You know, that I had a, a, well, I thought it was originally a dark chocolate fallow, and a, a lighter, you know, sandy coloured spotty fallow. Anyway, and they popped out, and I thought, oh, okay, well, the first one popped out, and I thought, okay, I'll have a go at this one, wait for it to clear some shrubs and that so I could have a shot at it, about 70 metres, if that. And then all of a sudden, something caught my eye, and I thought, oh, shit, there's another one, like a sandy-coloured one. So anyway, the sandy-coloured one was a lot bigger, so got that one down, and then the other one ran off, and I thought, oh, good, I got the bigger one. But the other one didn't run too far, literally turned on a dime and was almost staring at me but had no idea where I was, just it must have been the way you know, she was facing and then bang, one straight down the chest and got two and had a, like a whole big tucker box, you know, full of meat. And when I went over there, my mate came down and I, I went down to see it, obviously, and figured out straight away, uh, that's no fallow, mate. That's a that's a nice little samba doe. Good little size yeah, one too. Out yeah, hanging out together. And I, when I mean hanging out together, I mean two metres away from each other. They were to, coming out of a game trail, moved mm. out onto some a little grassy patch behind some trees and I went, shit that I, I couldn't tell from the distance because all I just saw the way they were facing when she popped out the samba was you know like a sort of an arsen shot so I was like well that must be one of those and in that area they're renowned for the dark chocolate fallow as well and I just yeah. didn't couldn't and I was sitting down in the sort of bushes in sort of some longy sort of grass just to get cover and I was surprised I thought wow like lucky because I'm disappointed actually because I'm glad I got both because if I if that one had gone and ran I would never have known that was even a samba and I'd probably be telling the story today that well I saw two where one light fellow and one chocolate fellow so i'm glad it didn't run too far and and sort of let me shoot it but the you should have seen the meat on the samba especially for a young doe very very pork like very light pink totally different than than you know fallow and mature fellow where you get that sort of dark red meat uh yeah it was crazy Even my mate said he goes this is like pork and you know thankfully a couple of guys didn't get anything on the trip so we you know shared everything around as you do when you go on a trip if no one else gets something and uh, yep. Yeah, it was just worthwhile hunt, man, and yeah, one that sticks in the memory. Yeah, those unique sort of experiences are always going to stick with you. And um, I've, I have chased samba. Uh, I did make an ugly mistake uh, over December, January, just gone, and took off solo down to the Vic High Country uh, for three weeks and got caught up in the whole bushfire. Um, <laughs> Me too, mega yeah. mega heatwave bushfire thing down in the high country started up in the northern end and yeah I actually had a couple really good hunts um, in the in the top end of the high country um, I had a bit of a heartbreak story where I got onto a really nice samba um, 
I shot him and I lost him and I spent the, the following two days scaring the steepest blackberry-ridden gully um, known to man in 45-degree heat and smoke so thick you could only see sort of 50 metres in front of you yeah. searching for him. Um, and then I had to get out of there just due to the, the closing in fires and the conditions sort of changed and um, I had to hightail it down through the Mariel Valley to Omeo, um, camped in there for a couple of days and it just kept kept coming in and, um, yeah, had to travel then over to over to the other side and then eventually get out of there. So, um, yeah, it was a pretty full-on experience and, you know, a lot of guys don't hunt Samba over that time of year for good reason. A lot of snakes, very hot, um, and then throw in, you know, the bushfire stuff that went on down there, which you obviously got caught up in at Mallacoota as well. It, it made for a very memorable experience, but it's a, it's a heartbreaking one um, just for the fact that I, I lost a really good animal um, and it wasn't for lack of trying to recover him. So, yeah, that's one I've got to live with. And, you know, every hunter has a, a story like that and you don't like telling people about it, but it is it is a fact of hunting and that's just, it's the only one I've ever lost and it'll it'll stick with me for a long time, I think, that one. I know. As hunters, I mean, I think we endeavour to make sure that we, we get a good shot and we get a good kill. But, I mean, if we're all being honest with ourselves, me included, you know, that doesn't always happen. And, um, you know, I've had a couple of experiences where I've been disappointed in a shot that I, you know, come over a hill and I was puffing and I thought I should have got my bearings and, and just waited 20 or 30 seconds, which I had time for. And thankfully it's only happened once like you, but, you know, there was, there was blood and I just, but, you know, chances are it was probably just right around me. I just couldn't find the, the goddamn thing. So, yeah. you know, and people that say that and, they, they, you know, they see that and, and they say, oh, well, that doesn't happen to me. Like, you know, I just call bullshit on that to a lot of people because we all know every time somewhere, whether it's been maybe a rabbit hunting, maybe it's been fox hunting, deer hunting, you know, duck hunting, whatever they've been up to, you know, to say that, they've, you know, they've had a bang flop shot every single time that they've put, they, you know, pulled the trigger, you know, I just think that's a bit of bullshit, to be honest. Yeah, and you know yourself, and I was confident in in hitting him, and, um, you know, I was 7 mil rem mag and, you know, got him quartering away through the shoulder, and in that terrain, though, mate, if they run 50 metres um, in that thick, you know, Blackberry and just how steep it was, oh, absolute nightmare to find. What, um, what distance were you at anyway, and what, um, what bullet are you using? Yeah, so I had a um, 140 grain Barnes TTSX. Uh, they're they're a really tough bullet, um, and I probably shot him about 75, sort of 70, 75 meters. Um, and he was sort of quartering away, stopping, looking looking back toward me. Um, and you know we we're on the side of a hill, like <laughs> pretty steep country, and we were, I was shooting you know along the contour of the hill and. Yeah, smacked him in the shoulder and he's gone down and done like the three-legged run with his head and shoulder on the dirt. Um, but then he's sort of half gotten back up and started to try and run and then done the big ass overhead, tumble down the hill and, yeah, straight into big big blackberry patch. And there was another few deer below me um, and they were crashing off and had run down into the gully as well and, and across a creek. But, yeah, this fella didn't make it all the way to the bottom, but I just – yeah, wish I had a big machete. I could have really tried to get in there and cut it, cut it some down and look around. But 
you re- retrace the steps, you go back to your shooting position, you pick the tree that was next to, I had the GoPro on the head that I was study it and you go back there and you're trying to figure out which sort of direction he went down in and yeah I um spent hours there in the heat looking for him and went back the next day same scenario up and down zigzagging all over the countryside and um and then the point where the fires were getting close and um conditions had deteriorated air quality and all the rest of it I decided to get out of there and go try my luck somewhere else and you know, I was down there for three weeks. So I'm like, all right, well, on my way back, I'll come back here and try and sniff him out. At least it's not, you know, all completely lost then. But yeah, I just couldn't even get back up there. And that that particular part of the the uh, forest was very very burnt out. So um, yeah. yeah, I'm probably glad I didn't didn't try and get back up there. Yeah, I know the Samba. They definitely are a hardy animal. I mean, I did an interview probably. People that listen to this show would have already been released by now because obviously yours is going to be after this one. So with I said Nathan Foster from um, Terminal Ballistics Research, and he talks about mm-hmm. you know we get into that about bullet weights and things like that, and you know he's just sort of a, from what I understood from the show because it's going to be. It's, I think some people are going to be pretty happy with it, and then there's some people that may take you know, offence. I think with some of the things that he said. I mean, and some of the things he was saying, like I said, affect me directly. You know, but I just took the information for what it was, which I thought was bloody fantastic. And I hope when people listen to the show, and probably when they're listening to this right now, they look back at that and say, you know, the guy's quite experienced, and he was he seemed to be a very very strong proponent of. You know, yeah, wind is obviously a problem shooting distance. Obviously, you were fairly close, but that bullet weight, stepping up that bullet weight. And uh, I think I was even talking about my 7mm mag with him at one stage. Might have been after the show. Could be during the show. I can't remember. But uh, I'm using the 162 grain ELDX. And he goes, listen, the 7mm, he goes, I'd probably be stepping it up to the 175, especially if you're going to be shooting distance. You know, maybe even 180. I said, in the 7mm? And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I said, yeah, right. I said, how does weight affect you know, like terminal performance and things like that. And, you know, he just goes, well, obviously there's a lot more room for error with a heavier bullet, you know, a lot more shock, a lot more impact. You know, I can't remember exact terminology that he used, but, you know, I was, yeah, when you actually get a chance, listen to that when it comes out on the 26th of August. And, um, yeah, I mean, Sam, but they're 140 might have been a little bit undergunned. I don't know. I mean, depends. But then I've smashed um, my mate shot, you know, Fallow with a 2-4-3 with a 70 grain. Mate, dropped him on the spot. So you just never know, eh, with the size of the animal. Some people are... You know, head shooting big stags with the, you know, a two, two, three because they know it's fast, accurate, and clean. Not saying it's the most economical way to do it or best way to do it, but it's certainly just like another option, you know. Yeah, I um, I tend to go down a size in the TTSXs and the barns just because they are a solid copper projectile and they're extremely deep penetrating and a very tough, um, very tough projectile. Um, I I got a half decent fallow buck in the rut last year and that was the first 140 grain barns I'd ever recovered out of an animal and it had broken both shoulders and I found it in the skin on the opposite side um, and I weighed it when I got home and it was 98% weight retention you know perfectly opened up and usually they just punch right through so that particular um, fallow that I'd shot it had dumped all of its energy inside of that animal and you know I, I find a 150 or a 140 in the 7 mil rem mag is a good good weight for the barns but when I'm not using uh, a copper projectile I'm shooting the 162 SST out of my 7 mil as well yep, yep. Um, so it is that heavier um, 
bullet, but it is a, a more softer constructed projectile. So I look, Nathan Foster's, you know, done a lot of research and I, I love his, his website and he's got some really good information on there. And, um, I just use what, what works for me and uh, I don't profess to be any kind of expert in, no, no, in, was... in, in that sort of thing, but I've taken a lot of game with the 140 TTSX and I don't think it was a lack of, you know, uh, power shot placement or, or projectile choice on that particular sandbar that led to me not finding it. You know, you can shoot one in the heart and it'll still run a hundred yards, yep. you know, dead on, dead on its feet on adrenaline. And that's just the type of tough animal they are. And it adds a dimension to hunting, um, Samba that, that makes it a challenge. And, you know, a lot of guys shoot them with 300 wind mags and they'll still run and, you know, your 338 wind mags and they'll still run. And, you know, you're not on occasion you can get the bang flops with them and like any animal and i've certainly had that quite a few times with other species but yeah that day it didn't play out it's man sometimes they're a they're a tough animal and um and i guess that kind of contradicts what i was just saying because there was a story where i had a good sized deer pop out over my shoulder didn't realize until i was sitting down looked at to my right saw this deer just on a little trot not, not little deer, good, very good sized fellow. And um, anyway, it went over my shoulder, so I sort of turned the gun. I was able to sort of just roll over onto my belly, turn the gun around, and I was aiming sort of. It was it was basically let's say I'm aiming. It's, let's say I'm at I'm at my position. Deer's at twelve o'clock. I was sort of aiming at one o'clock, so it was just on its side, but facing more towards the twelve. I punched one straight into its shoulder, a little bit far back than I would have liked. This thing bucked up. And just started bolting, and I'd already missed a deer on that trip earlier at about at about 280 meters by a very small margin. I saw the puff of smoke, and I said, "You've got to be kidding me!" Anyway, this one was only at about 75 meters, maybe 80 meters, and I thought it was a fantastic shot. I'm lying down prone on the bipod, bang, straight into the side. I thought into the side, didn't see anything. It just started bucked up and started bolting straight ahead. And this was like in an open grassy area of this forest. And it probably was open for about 400 meters. And I'm just watching it run down, like run away at like a bit of a higher elevated position. And I said, I said, you've got to be shitting me. I've missed again from 80 meters. What the friggin' hell went wrong? Anyway, it's running, it's bolting, it's bolting. Bullet a gate, bullet a gate, bang, like a, like a greyhound. And all of a sudden I'm watching it. I think, fuck, where's it going to go? What's it doing? This is ridiculous. So many emotions running through my head. This is the biggest deer I've ever seen on, on public land before. And then bang, just nosedive, dead. And I was like, holy crap, oh, I hit it. <laughs> I hit it. I hit it. This is amazing, you know? Um, yeah. And that was a hundred that was a three oh eight with a hundred and sixty-eight grain soft point from the outback ammo. And that, and it ran probably a good hundred and fifty meters plus, maybe more, probably hundred and eighty meters easily, mm -hmm. maybe two hundred even. Um, and it was a fair way because I, I was sort of not starting to lose sight of it, but it was a full head of steam and bang, just nosedive straight into the ground. I said, wow, I couldn't believe it. And then I was obviously jumping up and down and you know cheering and I thought, but just again, it goes to show how tough. doesn't matter if it's the 140, even sometimes with the 160. It just depends on how you hit them, adrenaline, how tough the animal is, its will to survive. There's so many factors, isn't there? Yeah, that's it. And, you know, they... They live a life of being chased by predators and, you know, the first thing that happens when they get latched onto by whether it be a, a jaguar or a leopard or if it's planes game or whatever, they bolt, they go. So even, you know, I've seen 
I've seen stuff run that just shouldn't be able to really. <laughs> yeah, I know it's mad. It's mad. Anyway, what's in the what's in the the the, the one Gobel safe, mate? If you don't mind me asking, what's your favourite guns or go tos and and things like that? Uh, my go to, mate. Um, I do most of my hunting. I've got a Ticker T3X Super Light in seven mil rem mag, um, three and a half to ten B40 VX3I on it, and that's just a super lightweight. Um, package that I just I'm really comfortable shooting uh, I've done yeah a couple of years with that one now and um, it's just reliable and it's I find big enough for everything and um, well that I hunt anyway I wouldn't, wouldn't go shooting smaller stuff with that um, I recently picked up a 308 uh, Hower that I've got a uh, two and a half to eight by 36 VX3 on a uh, bit of a backup um, and hope to do a bit more hunting with that one. Just it's a bit cheaper to run than the the seven mil rim mag and you know, fallow and and pigs and goats and stuff. They don't necessarily always need something that that size. Um, yeah, I've got I think three twenty twos. I've got an old Anschutz. I've got that BSA that I inherited from my grandfather. Uh, I've got a Savage Mark II. Um, I've got an older Kiwi. 84 410 shotgun, which I also inherited off my grandfather. Uh, recently picked up an old triple two in a Remington 788, um, which I'm in the process of doing a bit of a refurbishment on. Uh, I've got a 357 Magnum lever action. That's good pig medicine, that one. Um, I think that's that's it in the stables. I've recently unsold a... Um, uh, a 243 that I was using for some thousand yard um, shooting. That was a Howler in a GRS stock with a um, Cytron S3, which I know you've just picked one up yourself. And um, that was a really good, good gun and really enjoyed learning to shoot long range um, out to a thousand yards with that setup. You know, it was a, it was a budget build in my mind and, served me very well and it was a really good platform to sort of learn um you know extended range ballistics on a 243 and also wind and and stepping up the hand loading game a bit so that was that was pretty cool so you're um, a bit of a leopold fan by the looks of it then <laughs> yeah i've got a couple um yeah i've got three at the moment and yeah i, I think they're great for the money the with the warranty the the quality of glass, um, they're just super reliable uh, and at a price point where, you you know, you could always step up and um, go the VX5 and, and whatnot. And, you know, I've spent a bit of time looking through the Suarez and that sort of thing and, you know, dollar for dollar, I think they, they play with the big boys and I've been really happy with them and they haven't let me down. So a um, couple, couple of them have the CDS on them as well and I find that a pretty handy Anything. Mate, quick break. Be right back. Renowned for their strength, reliability, and attention to detail, Moroku shotguns are the perfect example of what a sporting shotgun should be. Moroku have been producing quality products for over a century and sold in Australia since 1963. Each Moroku shotgun is crafted with precision, from the MK Trap and sporting models to the all-round best-selling field shotgun, the MK70. Visit morokushotguns.com.au for more details and stockists. 
Mate, we're talking about some upcoming purchases, I think, just a couple of days ago when we were talking on the phone and on Instagram. So what have you got coming up for any new purchases? You know, I've got to stop looking at these websites about new guns because I've got enough. I don't shoot the ones that I've got and <laughs> I've got to stop looking at advertisements. Yeah, it's a bit like that, mate. It's uh, it's a deep rabbit hole to fall into. And, um, you know, I cop, cop some stuff off my mates and family members about, you know, the amount of gear you buy and how many guns you get and, you know, how many scopes do you need and, Look, some people like shoes and I like firearms and I like guns and I like hunting. So, you know, <laughs> you got to spend your money on something. And, um, yeah, look, as I said, I sold that um, 243 I was using for some long-range stuff. Um, so I'd really liked to up the ante on, you know, building another uh, semi-custom for, for long-range and also for a bit of hunting. So... Yeah, I'm just starting to get get all the pieces together for that. So I'm just in the market for an action, and and yeah, buy a stock, and then get the barrel, and and then a scope. So you know, got to bite these sort of ones off in chunks, as it is a pretty expensive game we're in, and um, haven't fully settled on the caliber yet, but it's um, looking like it'll be off a off a rum parent case, whether it be the three three eight edge or just a, th- a straight three hundred rum. Um, only for the fact is a bit more downrange energy and a bit better ability to buck the wind. Um, I was using the 95 grain Berger VLDs out of the 243, which were a really great projectile, but um, sort of hamstrung me with, you know, the twist I had in that 243 and then the ability to, to use that on game as well. Like it was definitely more of a target round or a small, small game round. Whereas, um, Stepping up to the 338 or the 300 gives me the option to potentially hunt with it in the future. Um, not saying I would be hunting game at those extended ranges, but just, um, you know, it's a good good skill set to have, being able to comfortably shoot at longer distances if you needed to. Yeah, no, I see a lot of people fighting recently, especially on the, the interwebs of the great facebook not really um you know people just fighting about you know what's what's ethical and all that and what do you is a good question a bit of a curveball question for you what do you believe is ethical in long range shooting look it comes down to for hunting i mean for obviously for hunting for, yeah. for hunting yeah look you got to be confident and comfortable in your ability as a shooter um i feel like if you can't get closer than say 400 yards 300 yards to a deer um you probably should quit hunting. Um, I'd I'd probably spend more time up in your skills in stalking and reading the wind and um, you know that sort of thing to try and get closer to animals. Uh, I think that's half of hunting is being able to you know outsmart game and, and get within close proximity and and take that shot and knowing that you can um, efficiently and dispatch that game um you see a lot of guys on youtube doing the thousand yard playing game out in you know white tail and and shooting elk at a thousand yards and that sort of stuff and you, you only see the hits like they obviously don't put videos up of ones that they've mortally wounded and lost so i think that's a false sense of um capability there um when a hunter just has five six, seven, ten videos on YouTube of him smacking elk at a thousand yards, he's probably lost twenty. Um and for mine, I would never 
um, at those distances, even if I could hit a one-minute target at a 1,000 yards, cold ball first shot round every day of the week, you know, like I wouldn't wouldn't do it. And that's just me personally. Yeah, um, I know there's a lot of fighting. People say, well, you know, beyond 100 yards, anything beyond that's, you know, inhumane. I'll say, well, it depends, you know. Like my, I guess my opinion has always been is, you know, is, is people, can they do that? Can they, you know, comfortable to do those shots? You know what I mean? Have they done those shots before? Have they, you know, have they spent the time practicing and training for those types of shots? I mean, you know, that, that's where I think, you know, morally, people say, what's well, yeah, morally not correct. I say, well, you know, I guess, you know, moral is, you know, up to the eye of the beholder, I guess, in regards to what they believe to be moral or not. But, you know, I'm more of, I guess, come from the thing of, you know, is someone able to make those shots? Are you or not? I'd like, I'd prefer to get in closer as well. But, I mean, if it means I can't get closer than 500 and I'm comfortable at shooting that, then, you know, I should be able to take the shot. I believe that to be morally correct for me, not for pushing my morals on somebody else. But, you know, it's 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 an interesting uh, thing with hunters, eh? They, some people don't like certain things. Others like other things. Some, you know, it's it's... It's 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 an awesome industry to be in, I guess, hunting. So many differing points of view. Yeah, and that's it. And it, I think it's based on the scenario as well, Jace. Like I've myself taken deer at 300 and 400 yards, but I, I was open country. Uh, I had the time to, to lay down and set my shot up. Um, I had a range finder. I had the CDS. Um, there was no wind, and I was able to make that shot on an animal that had no idea. You know, I was there, wasn't moving around. And at those ranges even, like, that's borderline, um, you know, too far. Um, in those cases that I did shoot those animals, they were bang flops, luckily enough. Um, but that's because, you know, I shot them in the neck and um, I was comfortable in taking that shot. Um, so anything further than that, like, I, I personally probably wouldn't, but that's just at this point in time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Was there, again, going back to that interview with Nathan, just, that'll come out in a couple of weeks. Um, it's just interesting because it's interesting the the marketing, and that was something that I probably didn't think about it before too. About you know bullet marketing and what people put on their boxes, and and he sort of said, well, you know, if you're shooting a certain bullet, he goes, that may be a good bullet. Like he goes, ELDX that he goes are pretty good, but he goes, it depends on what ranges you're going to shoot them at. If he goes, because some of them have got a thicker jacket, so if you're at a closer range. And you're hitting him pretty hard, but you've got the speed behind it. It may be enough to to push it and open it up, you know what I mean? And not necessarily punch all the way through. Again, he goes, depending on what game you're going to shoot, goats and things being different, being soft-skinned deer, depending on the size of the deer, you know. Um, pigs, obviously, a lot harder going through that sort of shoulder armor. But he goes, if you're shooting at long range and it's got a harder jacket, he goes, if it's potentially, depends on the make of the bullet, if you're shooting at longer ranges, he goes, that heavier jacket may not be going fast enough for it to open up properly and may not do as much damage as, say, you know, a match bullet, which, again, is I find very interesting. And um, I've been, you know, wanting to research that stuff for a while. And if you go on his uh, YouTube channel as well and just watching some of the stuff where he's shooting goats at fairly longer ranges and then especially with match bullets and then going up and look at the the devastating effects at those ranges so i always tell people again use the bullet for application and that's probably the best advice that probably he gave on the show i think we're basically giving that advice on the show and um yeah using it for what you're going to be using it for and at specific distances i know we can't pick that we can never pick the distance we're going to shoot an animal at sometimes depending on you know is it thick timber country is it open country we're going to be able to get out uh, onto those planes you know and, and shoot them you know it's a, a lot of varying factors mate a lot of varying factors 
Yeah, it's quite a rabbit hole when you get into it, but there's just the right tool for every job and, and the right projectile for every scenario. And, um, yeah, it's just trying to pick that all rounder. And, um, yeah, that's why I've sort of moved away from the Barneses at the moment and gone with the SSTs. Just, you know, they're soft enough to be able to shoot at, you know, 200, 300 yards um, and then, yeah, enough energy and weight uh, for closer stuff as well. So I find them a pretty good compromise for both. Um, the premium bullet and the TTSXs, they're obviously good for what they are, but they're not fantastic BCs, so they tend to not be as great over you know, the longer ranges. But again, I haven't had any dramas with them, either of them actually. Yep. Excellent, man. Quick break, guys. Be right back. Even though they're back in business, the closure of gun shops in three states during the coronavirus pandemic was an attack on every shooter's right to go shooting. That's why the National Shooting Council is taking legal action so that it doesn't happen again. The NSC is also leading the fight to stop the reclassification of firearms and is providing important voting advice for every shooter in every state, territory and federal election coming up. That's why the NSC is the leading political organisation for shooters across Australia. So support its work by becoming a member today. For more information, go to nationalshooting.org.au. Mate, just want to—you were just talking about that build. Was it going to be purposely for just a just a target gun, or are you going to be yeah, sort of a mixture of both? Yeah, look, I'd ultimately like to be able to have a versatile um, sort of setup there where I could carry it if I wanted to. Um, potentially take it overseas and do some hunting elsewhere, um, and yeah, use it as a bit of a target gun here. But um, yeah, it's something that'll be carryable um i know it'll be pretty hefty and pretty long and pretty noisy and pretty dear to run but yeah these are just the things we get into light barrel or heavy barrel what are you going to go uh it'll be trying to compromise both i think um best of both <laughs> worlds <laughs> yeah, yeah find, find that sweet spot with the length and then yeah have a have a play around with the contour but you know it's, i'm not one to be putting round after round so yeah i don't think it'd be too heavy ever been overseas to hunt any plans to go overseas or any bucket list hunts you'd like to go on down the track in say next five ten years yeah plenty on the bucket list um i haven't had a chance to hunt new zealand yet which i would absolutely love to do you know they've got such a wide variety both north island and south island so would really love to get over chasing wapiti and and seeker and eventually tar and chamois as well but um i just there's so much here in australia uh to do as well uh, i was i drew the emergency um ballot with the hog deer last year so then the fires and stuff so i missed it by that much so i'd be really keen to get get on the hog deer ballot again this year and um yeah better um better specimens of red and chittle and fallow obviously and, and chase some rooster as well so yeah there's plenty to hunt here mate and um i'll look if the bank account ever allows it in the future north america too, i think it'd be pretty cool yeah, absolutely. What do you? Because again, it's always differs by states. I was thinking about that the other day. Like New South Wales has got some pretty pretty decent hunting in some, in, in most areas, not every area, but in general. And I know a lot of guys that have moved to Queensland say, "Oh, it's not that you know." Sometimes it's difficult to find places like you. So I'd love to see them get crown land hunting up there one day, so people can actually get out on some of these lands and you know maybe smash you know. You know, if they've got goats up there or some pigs or whatever it may be. And because a lot of people that I speak to say, well, there's nothing available. I'm, I'm contacting people. I'm trying to get access. And, you know, there's just not the game to shoot. So it's, you know, they're thinking about moving states. And um, I know you were talking about me about potentially moving at some stage. 
Yeah, and look, there is some really great hunting opportunities up here in Queensland. Um, it's a plethora of game, but most of the land's locked up. And if you're fortunate enough to know people with with private property, you can get in that way, or have family or family friends. Um, you know, or do the do the hard yards and do some door knocking, um, which are all options. But I, I tend to actually spend most of my time hunting down in New South Wales. I you know, I get away sort of twice a month at least if I can and I'll drive down to the northern tablelands um, and that's where I mainly hunt my fallow is down and around there and, you know, that was also a challenge getting onto properties down there. They're private. Um, haven't really had a crack at the the public land hunting in New South Wales yet um, but I've been a couple of times down to Victoria um, which, again, is is a step up and, um, yeah, I'm thinking it will you know, planning to move down to Victoria in the in the next couple of years. Um, both my mother and my brother live down there, and yeah, the bush is calling me, the high country is calling me. So now you just yeah. got to convince the missus, mate. You got to convince the missus now. <laughs> oh, mate, she's she's already bang up for it. So yeah, she's like, when you go on, I'm coming too. So. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky in that sense. <laughs> oh, no, well, as a, I don't, actually, I won't say that. I was going to have a bit of a joke there. but uh, Yeah, no, you can leave that one there. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're going. I know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, top two to three tips, um, just in case she hears it, you know what I mean? But uh, top two to three tips, mate, um, sort of, you know, for hunters or new shooters, even just general tips that you've, you know, been out on the land that you think, mate, that's been, you know, a good tip I can share or, you know, to make people yeah. more successful in the in the hunting game practice you know i've you, know, you get the guys that um you know they'll go to the range once or twice a year and then they'll go for a hunt once or twice a year and they're just so unfamiliar with their firearms and and shooting um <laughs> practice 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 um and I, I know guys that can get behind a gun on a bench and you know shoot sub minute all day but then get them out in the bush and they are it's a foreign you know, position they they've never practiced offhand. They've never sh- practiced shooting with a with a pack on, or never practiced in an awkward kneeling or seated position or leaning up against a tree. So, my biggest advice, if you if you're shooting with a rifle or hunting with a rifle, is practice for the unconventional, uncomfortable shots because they're the ones you're going to be taking. Um, you know, if your range allows it, practice shooting up against a, the post if your range allows it you know practice shooting offhand with your backpack on um or seated or, or something like that i think if you can back yourself in an unnatural or uncomfortable position the chances of you having correct shot placement are just that much better you're not going to jerk it you're not going to doubt yourself just because you're in an awkward position or wait for yourself to get in that right position and potentially miss the opportunity to shoot the, the animal that you're that you're stalking so that's probably the biggest tip is i think it's being comfortable and practice trigger time um is it's a big one um obviously the wind <laughs> and that comes down to experience yep. um you know spending time in the bush is the biggest one learning to read the wind um you know it's it's hard if you've never been to a particular property before but you know trying to learn the habits of the animals that are there and their, you know, daily routines and where they are and where they aren't. Um, and you pick that up over time and you might have to go go there four or five times before you even see something. But just spending that time out there 
um, learning sort of what they do and, you know, where the winds prevail from and where you should start your hunt and areas you should move into. Um, you know, you yourself, uh, I hear mainly a sit and wait kind of guy and in a state forest setup, whereas I sort of, I walk, I cover a lot of ground. Um, you know, I'm lucky enough to have spent quite a fair bit of time on these properties now, so I know, you know, where the, where the animals will be at certain times of day, so I just spend my time, yeah, walking between them. Yeah. Um, occasionally you bump into them on the way, but a lot of the time they're there. You're probably you way there. fitter than me, man, so that's my just laziness really, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, uh, <laughs> that's what I generally – but, you know, i got to say, you know, I'd probably use the – I mean, like I said, yeah, again, it all comes down to the situation, doesn't it? You probably well have been to those properties. You know them like the back of your hand. You know where the deer are sort of going to rough areas. They may come out. Um, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I just, oh, people ask, like, you know, how did you, you – know, and it's so weird because, you know, people say, well, I haven't got a deer yet either. And then they're telling me the same stories as me that when they got their first deer – like I spent years, one years, like five years trying to get my first deer, getting it wrong, not being in the right position, you know, um, walking back to camp and seeing the ass end of a bunch of fallow running off, uh, you know, be, being on the wrong side, like it's on my, over my right shoulder walking towards me. And I'm like, oh, I'm, I can't turn because it's going to see me. As soon as I sat down and just took things a little bit slower, that's when I started to get success. And it's weird. I shot the first one and then I've, I had a few bit of private property as well. And pretty much after that, I was just successful. Every single time I went out, pretty much bar one over the last couple of years, um, that was because I think, you know, October was coming, it was warming up a bit. I think the deer were, you know, not moving into certain areas and stuff like that. Could be wrong totally. Maybe I just didn't see one. But, yeah, it's, um, you know, it's funny how the monkey just gets off your back and nothing for five years and then, like, it's like, man, the floodgates have opened. Is this, like karma is this have i done something right or oh, <laughs> i've got no experience, idea Jace. So it's just experience you've spent that much more time in the bush and you started to pick up on habits and where they would be and where they wouldn't be and how you conduct yourself in the bush as well with even just how much noise you make or you know the type of camo you're wearing or the time of day that you're out and you just all those little pieces of information might only be 10 percent, but you put them all together and that percentage starts adding up until you know you're on to animals quite frequently um i was pretty lucky you know as i mentioned back earlier in in the interview that um hunted with my best mates on their grandparents farm and you know i was pretty low in the pecking order when it come to actually getting to shoot stuff so it was a long time before i started getting my first deer and all this sort of stuff so i was fortunate to learn off these guys that you know had been doing it for longer than me and and they're great hunters and you know in the future you might get to chat to them as well um and so i learned you know just by watching being there you know still walking around with them holding the gun but um yeah i think that that time in the bush uh, and and watching other people do it was really beneficial to me and and seeing what gear they had as well and like we all sort of come through at the same time but you know, they they hit it a bit harder earlier on, um, whereas now I'm I'm going regularly, and then then not so much, just how life pans out. But um, another tip, mate, is is gear, um, good boots. Got to be able to walk and find them and spend the hours and the do the kilometres. Um, life's so much easier when you've got a good set of boots doing that. And binos, 
um, got to be able to see them before you can shoot them. So invest the money, get a get a decent set of binoculars and, um, yeah, those two bits of gear I would recommend getting before you even buy a rifle. Get out in the bush, walk around, have a look around, look at the animals. you got to find them before you can shoot them. Yeah, 100%. Even I was like that when I first started thinking, oh, why do you need binoculars? Then I bought a cheap set. And whilst I was still pretty good, you know, for the price that I paid for them, you know, nothing like a good set of binoculars that will hopefully last you, you know, the rest of your life. And I say, don't skimp on the binoculars, guys. Um, You know, I've got two different pairs, one from a deer hunting, which are a smaller, I think, 8 to 30. And then I've got just a standard 8 to 42s. Yeah, um, and that's you know, it. For, for rabbits and things like that, or side of hills, more... I used to use them, but they're a bit heavier, sort of for the for the you know the bino harness at the front. Yeah, the little eight to thirties made a fantastic clip them on, bang straight into the little harness, mate. Off we go, ready to go, like a good good small form factor, which is what I like. Yeah, not as great in low light, but at the end of the day, man, I'm you know, by the time it gets too too late to hunt anyway, I've probably had enough, and it's you know it's probably not the safest to be shooting at that time anyway, just in case you can't identify targets. So. You know, it's, yeah, just don't skimp on that, guys. You know, buy that. Go out there, like one said, and, you know, just look at the animals and, and find them. And, you know, if I had to probably give a number one tip, it's you need to be onto them before they're onto you because they're onto you. But then again, you know, it's so funny because I've got friends that have the most interesting luck. They'll be like walking around and then a deer will just jump out in front of them, bang, flop. And then, you know, like it's, it's, it's other family member will come out too. And he's like, okay, bang, well, it looks like we're filling the freezer today. Bang, great news. And he's got a couple of deer for the freezer. I'm like, how do you do it, man? I can't get within cooey of these bloody things, you know? Like he goes, I don't know. They just popped out, you know what I mean? And I shot it. And I said, oh, man, you got the best luck, man. Oh, it's just, as you say, sometimes it's just luck. And, you know, I've been out on a, you know, a walk of a morning and, you know, you cover 7Ks and you're in the steep stuff and you haven't seen anything because it's been super windy or whatever and, you know, you're doing your, your trudge back to camp, making all this noise and, yeah, you get to the last bend in the creek and literally, you know, 100 metres away from where you're camping, there's just a doe, you know, and you're just like, what? And, yeah, carry out's easy then, but stranger things have happened. Yeah, no, I like an easy carry out, man. I like an easy, you know. But on my last trip too, I was down in some thick, thick pine stuff and saw a bunch of deer. They didn't see me, but I was like, you know, cause in the you can probably shoot maybe forty meters, fifty. And I've moved into a position, saw the deer pop out in front of me, and then I've gone to the right of the tree very slowly, and then it's gone back the other way. But it didn't notice me. Otherwise, it would have been running. I'm like, well, why did it come over that little crest, but then continue back this way? I don't understand. Anyway. A bit later that day too, I ended up, um, you know, seeing more deer. I, I was basically right down in the thick of this um, pine and there was a lot of blackberry. And I thought, ah, I knew the wind wasn't good and I could feel it under the back of my neck. And I come up to this piece of wood, like a down tree. So I just stood on top of the tree very quietly, stood up on there. I thought, oh, and then guess what I saw on the other side of the blackberry? About seven or eight deer running off. I thought, yep, the wind got me. I was only about 15 metres from that, maybe not even that, from the blackberry. And I was like, ah, that bloody wind again, these swirling, fishtailing winds. Uh, you can watch it sometimes. You could be, you know, in open country and in a really good position and they have no idea you're there and they're just carrying on. And the wind will swing and you can literally just watch them put their heads up, do the big sniff, you know, one leg goes up in the air, they're looking around and then they're off. Like they, they're amazing creatures and amazing senses. They really are, man. They really are. Mate, finish off with a story 
I want to feel like I'm there. I want to feel like me, <laughs> me and you are hunting together and I was there spotting for you or something. Yeah, okay. So, um, well, like a lot of people, I missed the, the rut just gone um, due to, you know, lockdowns and border restrictions and not able to get from Queensland down to New South Wales and all of that stuff. So we'll go back to the rut the year before. And um, I had uh, a mate with me and he had never hunted fallow before. And um, that morning, I think it was maybe the day before, we had shot him a, a young, you know, a young buck who, you know, was a good specimen and it was his first one and he was wrapped and we took all the meat and, you know, he was over the moon. Um, you know, in the hills around us, they were, they were just croaking, they were going off. So um, we set off uh, to try and get onto one for, for me. And, um, yeah, we put in a pretty good stalk on a really vocal fella and, um, it was really dry uh, at that point in time. So I was obviously like walking on cornflakes and we'd started to get up into the thick stuff and we're closing in on him and um, got eyes on him and he had, you know, half a dozen does rounded up with him. So it was a lot of eyes on us. You know, fortunately the wind was in our favour. Uh, so it was just a, then a matter of trying to close the gap to get in a bit closer. Um, and as we were trying to stalk in, he had taken his – little harem and moved down into a bit of a scrubby patch in the gully below, still making a lot of noise. And we thought, all right, we're not going to be able to get him any closer than that. So we'll set up and try and have a bit of a rattle. So I set my mate Rob up behind me with the antlers and I went to the tree in front and got into a good position and gave him the nod. Um, and you know, the, the buck we had seen with the dozy, the pretty good fella, um, Definitely, you know, the best one that I've ever put on the deck. So I was keen and, yeah, Rob gave a bit of a rattle and surely enough, out comes charging this buck and, you know, <laughs> and by this time he was only sort of 40, 40, 50 metres in front of us and I knew, oh, this is going to be a quick one because, you know, they're they're pretty charged up and, and raring and they won't sit for very long. So he come charging up and just got into the clearing and had a quick look around and I was able to then, yeah, put one into his shoulder and, and get him down and um, pretty good feeling, high fives, uh, walked over to him and I was like, huh, you know, in the binos he looked a bit bigger than that. Um, oh, well, <laughs> you know, happy days, still still the best best buck I'd shot and beautiful bodied animal, big body on him and great coat and, yeah, I was, I was over the moon. So, yeah, the high fives, a few photos, um, you know, set him up to start caping him and, um, you know, just going through the motions, had my pack off, my rifle off. I was starting to do my initial cuts. And, um, yeah, Robbie's sitting behind me and he's like, oi, oi. I'm like, what? And he's like shaking me. He's like, look, there's, there's a bloody deer. And I like look up and the actual big fella that I had looked at and we'd stalked in on, he was standing there just looking at Robbie and I cutting up his mate. Like this was the the satellite <laughs> buck had the satellite buck had run into the rattle and um wow. I shot him. So even with the gun going off and all this commotion, this actual buck was standing ten meters away from us, just watching us. And he's like, because Robbie had already just shot one the day before, he's like, Oh, should I shoot it? I'm like, mate, bloody shoot it. That's the best deer you're ever gonna see, sort of thing. And yeah, he just by the time Robbie grabbed his rifle and stood up, this deer had sort of run off sort of 20 or 30 metres and done the stop and looked back and, yeah, Robbie sent sent one at him and, and knocked him over and ended up with a really good trophy. 
And yeah, wow. just, yeah, I could not believe it. You can't and, believe um, it. No. So if this guy didn't come over just to see what was going on, yeah, Robbie ended up with a, a really good trophy. And that was his first time chasing Fallow and he got two. And yeah, he got that one taxidermied and mounted and it's a bloody nice animal, that one. So yeah, just a really weird sequence of events. And oh, look, I'm not dirty at him yet. It was a really good hunt and a really good story. So <laughs> yeah. and especially that story to look back on and say, well, you know, how'd that happen? Like we shot one deer, how far, and when you were caping it, how far behind you was the deer? Like how far away were from where you guys were? 10 meters. Yeah. So the gully was just below us. Um, I like we rattled him out and I shot him at probably 40 and then he, he run his 10 or 20 and collapsed. And that's where he laid, set up for some photos and started caping him. And then yeah, out of that same gully, probably 20 minutes later, you know, after we'd done the photos and whatnot, this other guy just walked out and was looking at us and right there, yeah, <laughs> 10 metres in front of us. And then, yeah, wow. probably shot him, at, shot him at 30 or 40. Just when you move, you think they just would not hang around. You wouldn't think so, but I don't know. He was, you know, well and truly busy with his girls and other, other bucks cruising around. And, yeah, they were all still just vocal all through the day. It was really, really cool. Uh, just goes to show hunting in the rut. You never know what you're going to get. Mate, so people want to follow you. They want to jump on, check your you know, hunting stories and, and photos and that sort of thing. I know you're on Instagram, but any other social media you can share? Yeah, just um, it's Juan, which is J-U-A-N underscore hunts. That's my Instagram. Um, and that's just my name, Juan Goble, is my Facebook. But, yeah, I'm pretty active on Instagram. If anyone wants to come check us out. Perfect, mate. So Juan Gable joins me here on HHP to chat about his hunting, his passions, hunting in New South Wales, hunting in Queensland, and an upcoming new rifle build. So, mate, thanks for coming on the show, buddy. I really appreciate it. Thanks again. Cheers for the opportunity, Jase. It's been fun, mate. Thanks. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.